Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, we're still in chapter one. I know you're not surprised. Uh, This is Bible study. That's what this is. And um, honestly, this is what I love. I love exegetical Bible study. What does that mean? Verse by verse, that we are digesting it. We are researching it. We're studying it. We're applying it. It is amazing, to be quite honest. This is how you come to know the the Word of God, and you begin to see all the connections within, and so it's beautiful, and you know what? The more you do this, the more down the road, something will come up, and you will have the perfect story, the perfect verse, because why? You're putting it in there, all right? And God's Word does not return empty, void, Um, It's going to be fruitful, and so your time spent in the Word of God will be fruitful. You can guarantee that. Um, So we're in John 1, and we're in verse 35, all right? Where have we been? Well, the author, John, right, has told us, well, we know the purpose for his writing. These things I've written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you might have life, all right? And so John starts with saying, hey, I want you to look around. This logos, this purpose, this reason, this power is Jesus. And he was with God in the beginning. He was distinct from him. He was fully God. And all things were made by him and through him. And he is the light life, all right? And the darkness could not put it out. And by the way, don't just take my word for it. Let me tell you what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, listen, this is the one. This is the one that the Father told me I would know because the Spirit would come down and rest upon him. I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we have these great testimonies that Jesus is God. It says in verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. I love that every opportunity John gets to point Jesus out, he does so. Every time he walks by, every time he's in the vicinity, he points others to Jesus. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. I wish you could see, uh, not always, but I wish you could see what is in my mind when when I read this. Um, To me, Jesus, I don't know. If you go to CCV, do any of y'all know Dave Van Dong, the head pastor at Peoria? I think Jesus had a smile like Dave Van Dong. If you've ever seen someone that just had the warmest, sweetest smile on the planet, that is it. And I, every time I think about Jesus relating to the disciples, that is the look um, that I see on his face. Just this bright smile, this ease to be around. And 
I, I just love it. So here you have John the Baptist, and he is pointing the way to Jesus. It says that these guys were his disciples. There are two guys that had been following him. He must have known that if he points Jesus out and he speaks so highly of him and he says, this is the one that is better than me. This is the one I cannot even unlace his sandal. He was before me. This is the one, this is the Lamb of God, that if he talks like that, surely he knows that they are going to turn and do what? Follow him. They're going to turn, they're going to leave John, and they're going to follow Jesus. But isn't that what John the Baptist was here to do? He was there to encourage them to follow Jesus. He had come to attach men to Jesus and not himself. I love that. He had come to attach men to Jesus and not himself. Listen, any time we have a church today, and I think that is why churches are, are beginning to realize we, cannot, um, we can't boast of the brand of the pastor or elevate the brand of the pastor above basically the mission of the church. Because what happens is if people are following that one pastor, when that one pastor retires or dies, whatever, the whole church seems to crumble. We're not worshiping the pastor. We're not following the pastor. The pastor's job is to attach men to Jesus, to make Jesus famous, not the pastor. So any church that does that, I love. So it's not about the, the brand of a pastor, right? People tell me, I remember uh, my friend Crystal over here, she cheated on me last year to go to Bible study fellowship. Well, guess what? Yay for her. Because I wanted her to do that. Why? Because Bible study fellowship means that her face, honestly, is going to be in the Word maybe 15 hours a week. If you're really studying it like they want you to, we're talking homework city, people. Okay, lots and lots of homework. But why would I discourage that? She doesn't follow me. I don't want her attached to me. I want her attached to Jesus. And if she's willing to put that much work in, that's what I want. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And so we don't worship a person. We worship Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following. I love this. What did that look like? How far do you think they were away? Think about it. I mean, they don't really know him. Could they be a little shy, a little uncomfortable addressing him directly? I mean, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to unlace his sandal. You think they just walked right up? Or do you think they possibly just kind of in, a, in kind of a, a shy, humble attitude followed at a distance to just watch him because they were curious and they want to know him more? I got to thinking about the difference of this scene and the scene of Peter following at a distance. I just let my mind ponder it because here they don't know Jesus. They've heard about him. They're, they're curious, but they're not familiar. On the other side, Peter, when he followed at a distance, oh, he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus intimately. On this side, you see that they're really curious. They, they want to understand. On this side, he's confused. 
But what I know is it's never good to just stay at a distance. Whether it's out of curiosity or out of confusion, he wants you to come close. And for Peter, it, it wasn't a good day. The distance led to his betrayal, right? You remember, he, he denies Christ three times. He's confused. The blueprint hasn't exactly worked out like he thought. We've talked about that before. A lot of times that questioning makes you pull back and reevaluate what it is you think you know about Jesus. And he fell into this betrayal. You know what I find really interesting about this is after his betrayal, well, over here, this curiosity, what does Jesus do? He turns and he looks and he speaks to them. Over here with Peter, he turns and he looks in the courtyard. And let me tell you, the look spoke for itself. And at that point, crushed in spirit, Peter goes, and you know who he relied on? Every time you see Peter in Scripture after this, he's always with John. The Apostle John, the author of this book. Sometimes that's what we need when we're confused, when we're at a distance, when we've questioned, when we have been broken. We need that person just to abide with. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus never wants to leave us at a distance. He didn't leave Peter at a distance. You know the story, right? He ends up, when he uh, dies and is raised again, he actually meets with Peter alone. The two guys on the road to Emmaus say, uh, wow, didn't these, his words just burn in your heart? And they say he has already appeared before Peter. Listen, they got stuff handled one-on-one -on -one personally. And then he beckoned him over breakfast at the Sea of Galilee. So he brings him back in. But in this case, these guys are curious. They don't have intimacy. They don't know him well. They're following at a distance to see what he's like. And what does he do? He turns and he looks at them and he speaks to them. And Jesus had this way of asking penetrating questions, all right? First off, I want you to see that he has... Uh, he beckons them. Do you understand that? It's called divine initiative. In other words, when he realizes they're following, he turns and he more than meets them halfway. He makes it easy for them. He engages. He opens the door. He beckons them to come and see. That's what he does. Let me tell you, he is always making the initiative. Always. Even Think about it. He is the picture of the father in the prodigal son. The minute he sees the top of that kid's head coming over the horizon, what does the father do? He runs. He, and Jewish men did not run. He ran to his son. Think about Adam and Eve. Even after they had sinned, when the relationship was broken and they felt the brokenness, they felt shame, what did they do? They are the ones who turned and moved at a distance. And what did Jesus do? Or what did the word do? He pursued them. He is always initiating relationship. They are following at a distance and he turns and sees them and he speaks and he asks a penetrating question. He asks this. If I can find it in my notes, I'll tell you what he asks. There he goes. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What is it you're looking for? 
Well, I think that was a good question to consider in their environment. They are under the oppression of Rome. Things is tough. They're under incredible oppression, taxation. And so he says, okay, why are you following me? What exactly are you seeking? What are you looking for? Let me give you some options. Were they legalists looking to argue over every jot and tittle of the law like the Pharisees? Are you looking to be right and not to make things right, as we heard this weekend? Is that what you want to know? You want to sit down and argue over every little piece of the law, the word of God. Is that what you're looking for, like the Pharisees are? Are you, are you the doers? Are you the ones trying to fix everything and, and get into power and make a difference, kind of like the Sadducees? Are you after a revolution, like the Zealots? Are you just the quiet man praying, looking around at your environment and saying, God, what is your will? What is your plan? What are you doing? Or are you the broken ones, the ones who are in the darkness and you just need a little piece of light? Do you think that relates to our world today? <laughs> I sat here a long time. What is it you are looking for? Are you just wanting to know the scripture so that you can wield it, so you can know I'm right, you're wrong, this is what we do, Here, here's, this is what this means, this is what that means, and this is all I'm looking for. You want to be right but not really make things right? Are you the one that is coming in because you're the doer, the time spender? You're going to get in there and you're going to rise to power because you're going to make a difference and this is what you're going to do. And are you the one who says, this mess, all of it, both sides are terrible. I'm ready just to blow some stuff up. We need a revolution. We need to demolish this mess and start over. <laughs> or are you the one who is sitting back just quietly going, God, Show me your will. What are you doing? Are you the one that has finally got to the place where you're just so broken and you're in such dark that you're just like, Lord, I just, I just need some light. He's like, what is it exactly you're seeking? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. What do you want? Do you know that to me that's the hardest question ever? And maybe that's because I'm a three on the Enneagram. And don't email me over the Enneagram. It's just a tool, okay? It's not the Word of God. I don't think it's, but it's a tool, okay? One thing I know about me is I literally have a hard time. I detach from my feelings so that I can get the job done. But at the end of the day, a lot of times, I don't know how I feel. I don't. And what's really interesting is when I discovered that, I went back through all of my old Bible study workbooks. And do you know that in my Bible study workbooks, I, if it is a theological question, dude, I got the answer. If it is a really hard question, like it's a challenge question, oh, I wrote four paragraphs. Challenge, knowledge, I got this. If it is a personal question about how I feel or what I want, it is blank. What? 
I think this question, what do you want? When you listen to things about leadership, like I did this last weekend, the hardest part for me is the vision. Where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I see. And so a lot of times, we don't ever sit in it. We don't spend enough time sitting in, what is it you want? You're following at a distance. You're curious, but you won't truly engage. What do you want? What are you thinking about the most? Like, do you want security? Is, is that your big thing? If I said, what is the thing you want the most? You want security? You want to have enough uh, wealth to pay your bills right now and have enough left over that when you're done working, you can still survive? Security? You know, one thing I've learned, what is security? Those who don't have money worry about getting it and those who have it worry about losing it. If that really is your security in material things, there's worry on both ends of that. Is there really ever worldly security? Did anybody on earth see COVID coming? Really? Is there security? Is that what you want? How about, how about not just security? How about the fact of power? Making your dreams come true? Um, finding a place where all of your gifts and your talents and everything shine and fit in? And maybe it's not wanting your dreams to come true. Maybe it's wanting your children's dreams to come true. That's what you really want. That's what you're seeking. I'm going to tell you, that's really hard. That one is a hard thing. Because sometimes things just don't work out. Uh, this last weekend was hard for me. Um, on, on Friday night, Boulder Creek High School made uh, Doug and I honorary captains of the football game. Maybe this is why my brain is so foggy. It's been a hard weekend. And in case you're wondering, every high school stadium looks the same in Phoenix, Arizona. Like identical. You're standing in the stands in one, and you might be standing in Boulder Creek, but you just, you might as well be standing at Centennial High School because they look the same. And when I looked out on, on the field, they were almost in similar colors. And all I could think of, it was like time had pulled me back to when Zach was in high school. And I kept looking for number 31 on the sidelines. And I remember that night, the smell of football. Like, I, as you got there, it's starting to cool off. Did you know that football has a smell? It has a feel. It has a smell. It has an excitement even in the middle of stupid COVID. And I remember thinking, gosh, those were such fun times because Zach was larger than life. I mean, we just knew like he was going to score a touchdown or he was going to stop one, like something exciting was going to happen. And you just look down and you just think, what on earth happened? And you just start to, you know, analyze it all. And you think, wait a minute, this is not how it was supposed to work out. And it sent me in a spiral, and I'm telling you, I've been ticked all weekend. And you want to say, why? Why did it work out this way? Why would you ever give that person that many gifts and talents? 
You talk to someone, Zach was the best youth baseball player I've ever seen. So what? It didn't work out. Don't tell me that. And, and you think, what is it you wanted? What did I want all that time? His dreams to come true. That's what you worked for. That was your purpose. It was so good so that you can have a platform. So all of this stuff. And sometimes, guess what? It does not work out. And then you think, and sometimes it does. But even at the end of that, you know people where their dreams worked out and it still felt what? Empty. Because you're learning that it is not, life is not about our desired outcomes. It is about the process. It is about giving God everything you have and walking through the process of relationship with him and letting him deal with the outcomes. But it's hard. It's hard not to want that. What is it you want? What is your purpose? Is it to build the most wonderful family? I'm going to tell you this. It's hard after 25 years of working together to try to build a family and then sitting alone going, where is it? Where is it? To be cooking dinner on a cool fall day and have people in your home you didn't even know five years ago. Where is it? What is it that you want? What is your true desire? Is it security? Is it that your dreams come true? And at the end of the day, do you ever just get to the place where you're like, no, it's just peace? It's just peace. I want to have peace with myself. I want to have peace with others. And I want to have peace with God. Listen, that's just the things I think about. What do you want? Why are you following him? Are you at a distance? Are you just curious? What is it that you really want him to be? Because obviously it couldn't be enough for them just to hear the testimony of John. They wanted to follow themselves to see they were curious. And Jesus said, hey, don't stay at a distance. Bring all of what you think you want, all of what you're worried about, and come in close. What is it that you seek? I think you could spend a long time there in your journal this week. What do you want him to be? Is he just someone who can give you security? Is he someone who can make your dreams come true? Are you with him because you have some desired outcome? Or do you literally realize he's the outcome? It is about him. He says to them, or they say to him, where are you staying? Why do you think they ask that? Where are you staying? Because he says, basically, what are you seeking? Well, they don't really answer. You know why? Because I don't think they even know. Right? They're like me. I don't think they even know. They just know that you got something I want and you're drawing me and I need more of you. I need to know about you. And so I really don't know what I'm seeking, but what I know is I want to spend some time with you. So where are you staying? 
In other words, they're saying politely, hey, we realize and we don't want to presume. Um, perhaps you don't have time now, but do you think we could drop by later and be with you where you're staying? They want to spend time with him. Do you? Do you? If you want to spend time with him, you will spend time with him. And it, it's more than just a, a passing conversation on the road going somewhere. And it's more than just the testimony from somebody else. If you really want to know somebody, you have to what? Spend time with them. By the way, you're going to be like who you spend time with very often. But do you really spend time with him? When is the last time that you sat on your patio or sat in with the word of God and really spent time talking to him, reading his word, worshiping him, letting the spirit of God come into you being full? Do you really want to spend time with him? Because listen, you can have a pastor or a mentor or a teacher, and we can say, don't be attached to us, be attached to him. But honestly, you spend more time with us than you do with him. What you're getting, I'll never forget, when I was in Bible study fellowship in my younger days, I had a teacher, her name was Joyce Starrett, and she was this little redheaded Jewish woman that was a firecracker, and I loved her, and nobody taught the Old Testament like she did. And she made me fall in love with the Bible. And I remember one time she talks about the fact that she would chew up the Word of God. She chewed on it. She digested it. And then she regurgitated it to us. And I thought, disgusting. In other words, I'm surviving on regurgitated food. No, thank you. I would kind of like to chew my own. Thank you very much. Right? But do you realize that if all you're getting is church on the weekend and Bible study on Tuesday and your face is never in it and you never sit down to do the work, you're not, you're barely surviving. You know about him. You don't know him by being with him. It's the same with your emotional growth, to be quite honest. Until you sit down and decide you're going to do the work, the emotional work that it takes to recognize your patterns, to see them, to write about them, to forgive, to whatever it is you're working on, if you don't sit down and do the work, you're not going to see the change. And it is the same spiritually. So he says, they are like, hey, where are you staying? Because we would like to spend some time with you. And guess what his response is? Come and see. Come and see. If you're going to have a teacher or a mentor, that's what that is. Come and see. Not just what I say, but who I am. Not just what my mouth speaks, but what my behavior says. The Jewish rabbis had a way of using that phrase in their teaching. They would say, do you want to know the answer to this question? Do you want to know the solution to this problem? Come and see, and we will think about it together. That is one of my favorite things. Um, I have a mentor. Uh, you guys have heard about him, Brian Glubish. We call him Professor Proverb, right? That is one of my favorite things about him. He never really teaches at me. 
He goes, oh, that's a good question. He literally says, hmm, come and see. And we will sit down and we'll talk it over. We chew it up. We discuss it. It is the most beautiful experience. And that is what the rabbi was saying. You got a problem? You want to know the answer? All right. Come on. Let's chew this up together. Let's work this out together. He was inviting them not only to come and talk, but to be with him, learn from him, experience him. Maybe then they would discover the answer to their original, to his original question. What do you seek? They stayed with him that day. By the way, it made me think of the Samaritan woman. Do you realize that just by spending time with Jesus in his conversation, I think he made her realize what she was missing? Sometimes you don't even know what it is you're missing. Sometimes you don't even know what it is you want. And then all of a sudden you meet someone and you sit with someone and you watch them and you experience them and you're like, I didn't even know I was missing that, but that is what I want. He talked about living water in such a way that in her, she felt the emptiness, but she couldn't describe it. I, I don't know what it is, but that, that right there, that what you have, that what you're talking about, that's what I want. And honestly, that doesn't just come through conversation or teaching. That comes through being around and experiencing that kind of life change. And you go, I don't know what it is she has, but I just want a freaking piece of it. I don't know how she's surviving, or I don't know how that person has joy, or I don't know what it is. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I want it. And so he was saying, come and see, come and be with me. And at the end of the day, after being with me, maybe you'll understand the answer to my original question. What is it that you really seek? They stayed with him that day. What was that like? I want details. They stayed with him. I mean, come on. They talked about all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine the questions they asked him? They just stayed with him. They hung out. But what we do know is that it must have been life-changing because John, by the way, you know John never mentions his own name in his gospel. So the two disciples that were John the Baptist's disciples that followed Jesus, we know one was Andrew. We're going to see that. But the other is John, okay? And do you realize that it was such a life-changing event that John literally remembered the hour he met Jesus? Look there. What does it say? And it was the 10th hour, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Have you ever had someone that changed your life, a relationship, and you literally can remember the moment you met them? A lot of times you can remember the moment you met them, you can remember what they had on and where you were. But I'm telling you, it was such a life-changing event to John. He wrote it in Scripture. I remember the day I met him. I remember that. It was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was awesome. And not only was it so life-changing that, that John literally remembered the day, but we also know that because of it, Andrew then went and told his brother, by the word, uh, by the way, the word disciple 
literally is, let me see if I can say this right. Mathetes, Mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-A-S. And it, the root word is math. Some of you are like, really? Listen, indicating thought accompanied by endeavor, learning by inquiry and observation, learn by listening to truth, but also by observation. Okay, I taught math, believe it or not. Okay, you know how you learn math? Yep, you learn it by listening, but you especially learn by what? Doing, okay? Think about that as a disciple. He was like, come and see. Yes, I'm going to teach you, but it's not just receiving information. It's what? It's doing. It's following. It is becoming your teacher. It is a teacher working to replace himself. You're not just learning from me. You're going to be me. And that's what the disciple is. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. That followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, verse 40. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Not only did John remember the moment that he met Jesus, but the moment must have been so awesome that literally the very next morning, Andrew, literally the first thing he did is he went and found his brother and he brought his brother to Jesus. That's when you know somebody has impacted you. That's when you know that there has been a change because you cannot wait to share it with others. I remember when Zachary asked Jesus in his heart when he was about five years old. I could not shut that boy up. The minute he did it, he began to tell everybody. He told his family, guess what? I asked Jesus in my heart, I'm a Christian. We literally went to the doctor that very week, and the doctor walks in the office, and he goes, he goes hello, Dr. Macabuhay. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I asked Jesus in my heart. It was the most precious thing. And then as we're walking out, there was another family sitting in a room at the doctor with the door open, and Zach goes, go tell him, Mom. And I was like, all right. I'm not going to make him embarrassed of this situation. I'm like, I got this. I walked in that room. I thought, well, we're going to see what happens. I said, hi, I'm Shannon. This is my son, Zach. And he just was really dying for me to tell you that he has Jesus in his heart, and he's a Christian. And they must have been a Christian family because they looked at him, and they go, way to go, Zach. Good job. And I'm like, woo, that was so good. We got home. We pulled in the driveway, and we opened up that minivan. Yes, I did drive a minivan back in the day. And he gets out. My neighbor, Bob, is there. He's just like old crotchety old man, smokes cigars. And he goes, hello, Bob. He goes, ask Jesus in my heart. I'm a Christian. I mean the entire week. That is the excitement right there. And so when Andrew met Jesus that day, filled him up so much that he legit could not wait to go find Peter. And I love to see that in Andrew, and we're going to see that a little bit more in Andrew. Because before we move on to this whole Peter thing and how he says to Peter, this is who you are, but this is who you will be, I want us to take a minute for Andrew. You know why? Because there is a character, or there are two characteristics in Andrew I want you to see. He was a man who was okay to take second place. He really was. 
He was always identified as Simon Peter's brother. Look through the scripture. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, you know Andrew. Yeah, he's Simon Peter's brother. Boy, I wish Hillary was up here. Okay? It's not always, it's not easy always being second fiddle, right? Hi, I'm Hillary, Zach Hoffbauer's sister, right? That was hard to grow up under that. It's hard not to have a Zach wound. And to be quite honest, it was hard living under him in life, and it's still hard living under him in death. It's hard. It's hard to be what you would consider second fiddle. But then in some ways, you're like, you're proud to be known as that person's brother. You know, you're proud uh, that he's proud that I'm Simon Peter's brother. But definitely, he was in what we would call second place. And not only that, do you realize he was not included in the inner circle of Jesus? Who was? Peter, James, and John. Which means that he wasn't there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He wasn't there to see the transfiguration. He wasn't there in the Garden of Gethsemane. That would be hard considering you were one of the first two disciples to follow him. Right? But never once do we see that he had any kind of lack of contentment. He seemed content to sit back and allow his brother to enjoy the limelight. He seemed not too concerned about precedence or place or honor, unlike the sons of thunder and their mother, right? Can they be on your right and on your left? Andrew didn't even have that conversation. So not only did he appear to be okay to be second fiddle, He was the man that was always introducing people to Jesus. The three times that we see him in Scripture as the center of the story, this is what he's doing. This one, he's bringing Peter to Jesus. The second time is when he brings the little boy with the fish and the loaves. Bringing him to Jesus. Bring what you have, buddy. Bring any small gift you have and watch him work with it. And lastly, he brings an inquiring Greek. In other words, he had this attitude. Do you know my friend Jesus? Have you met him? Andrew had the heart of a missionary. He had the heart of an evangelist. We've seen John the Baptist who does not consider himself Anything at the top. And once again, right here, we see Andrew with that same humility. He is okay to be second. He is okay to be behind the scenes. All he wants to do is what? Bring people to Jesus. Do you know how many people are out there that when we get to heaven, they will be in the limelight because they didn't care to be behind the scenes? What were they doing? All through their whole life, they're like, do you know my friend Jesus? Let me tell you about him, but right? But what we do is we tend to worship those on the stage. Dear Lord, don't do that. Because when you're on the stage in public, you fail in public. Ask Peter. We're going to look at some of his scenes. Andrew's like, I'm okay. I'm okay to be behind the scenes. It's all right. I like it back here. Do you know my Jesus? It then says, Jesus looked at Peter. Jesus looked at Peter and said, 
You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. That word looked, let me spell it for you because Lord knows I can't say it. E-M-B-L-E-P-E-I-N. It is the Greek, if you look it up, it's number 1689. E-M-B-L-E-P-E-I-N. That's for you number ones on the Enneagram that need it in black and white. Okay, because you're going to look it up later. You're going to see if I'm right. This is what it means. Concentrated, intent gaze. The gaze which does not only see the superficial things on the surface, but reads a man's heart. Whoa. It reminds me of when in uh, 1 Samuel, he says, right, about David, he says to Samuel, he goes, listen, I don't look at the outside. I, look, I can see to the heart. All through the Gospels, we see evidence that Jesus could understand the thoughts, right? Do you remember? The woman is washing his feet. He knows what they're thinking. If you're some prophet, you would know what kind of woman is touching you right now, right? He knows our very thoughts. Lord, that scares me to death. He knows the thought in my mind before it ever hits my tongue to become, to decide if I'm going to use my filter to even say the word. He knows. And he looks into the very soul of Peter. And this is what he says. Your name is Simon but you will be called Peter. Right now you are Simon, but you will be called Peter. Anytime in Scripture you see a change of name, it is denoting a change of relationship with God. A change of relationship, a deepening of a relationship. You see that with Jacob and Israel, right? Jacob means deceiver, trickster, con man, heel grabber right? And then he wrestles it out with God. And it means one who contends or struggles with God and prevails. That's Israel. You see that. Abram, Abraham, right? The spirit breathed into Abraham to create new life. So you have this idea of a name change signifying a change or a deepening of relationship. This is an example of how Jesus looks at a man, he doesn't just see actualities. He sees possibilities, which is awesome. It's, it's the same with Gideon. Do you remember Gideon in the book of Judges? Okay. God appears to Gideon. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. Do you thresh wheat in a wine press? Are y'all dead? No. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. What do you do in a wine press? You press wine. So why is he threshing wheat in there? Because he's hiding. Because their enemy was starving them to death, was taking all of their crops and their food, okay? So he's hiding. God shows up and says, Gideon, you mighty warrior. What? How is that an example of a mighty warrior? That's because God doesn't just see actualities. He sees possibilities. He doesn't just see who you are. He sees who you can be. He sees, I love this quote, it says, if I can find it, Jesus is saying, give me your life and I will make you what you have it in you to be. Give me your life and I will make you what you have it in you to be. Wow. Peter. What did he see when he saw Peter? 
<laughs> Can you imagine looking into Peter? Do you know what kind of personality he was? Peter, I think my daughter Hillary's a lot like Peter. Uh, maybe I can, I can be too, but Peter had this ability. He could walk into a, dis, a situation and absolutely freaking demolish it. Or he could walk into a situation and what? Light up the room. That's what, have you ever met people like that? Like they're a force. When they're all in, there is nothing like them. I mean, you want to follow them, but the problem is they do everything big. They do everything out there, so they win big, but when they mess up, what? They also mess up big, and a lot of you are like, yeah, I'd rather be like Andrew. I know. Being Peter is risky, right? If you're going to be out there, but you know what? Jesus loved that. He said, listen, you were Simon, but you will be Peter, which means rock. Listen, you're just not someone that a, a fishing business can depend on. You literally have the ability for the church to be formed on you. When do we see that? When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And he asked him that at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And if you've ever been there, oh my gosh, I wish I could take you to Israel with me. It is one of my favorite places. It is this park filled with fountains and rushing water. And up at the top is this rock, this mountain face. And in it is a great opening of this ginormous cave. And back in the day, literally before it had to be rerouted, the waters flowed out of the mouth of the cave. And so it sounded like it was roaring. And that was the place, and you want to talk about pagan? Okay, this was the place if you were a Roman soldier, you wanted to go to when you were on vacation. All sorts of nonsense went on there, okay? They had the dancing goats. They, they worshipped the god Pan, which was half man, half goat. It was filled with uh, prostitution and orgies, okay? This made Vegas look like nothing, okay? What happened at Caesarea Philippi did not stay at Caesarea Philippi. Okay, this was not a place where you would take good Jewish boys, all right? These young boys, but Jesus took them there. And this right at that place, and by the way, that cave, the name of it, they called it the gates of hell. And they sacrificed children into that cave because the gates of hell, their gods, they would hear the roar coming out. I mean, you have this whole scene with all of your senses. And Jesus says to Peter, who do people say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, oh, Peter, you did not come up with that yourself. That was given to you supernaturally by God. And on that profession of faith, on you, the rock, I will build my church. But he also said, on this rock, what rock? The one I just described to you, with all the pagan religions, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, you see what's happening here? Oh, this ain't got nothing on me. Through you, through that profession of faith, we are going to take this place by storm. Gates are were for defense, not offense. And he is saying the gospel, the gospel is going on the offensive.
And we are literally going to go into the gates of hell and we are going to snatch out souls. That, Peter, is who you will be. I would love to be able to look. Can you imagine? I, I would kind of be scared for him to look at me. He can see all that. But don't forget, Peter was also the one who jumped out of the boat and sank. He's also the one that was gung-ho and cut off the ear of the guard, followed at a distance, betrayed Christ three times. But I'm going to tell you what, when he was all in, he was all in. God looks at us, and he doesn't just see actuality. He sees possibilities. He sees not just who we are, but who he can make us be. It is beautiful. And so Andrew, the one who was used to being second fiddle, the one who just had the heart of an evangelist, he's like, we got to go get Peter. I've got to go bring Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he looked into him and he says, oh, Peter, right now you're Simon, but I am going to make you the rock. You will be Cephas. You will be Peter. By the way, did Peter, was he just all in at that moment? I don't think so. They are following him. At another moment, you're going to see Jesus uh, walk beside, I think that, it, let me see if I wrote the reference. Matthew 4, he is going to see uh, Peter out fishing, and he's going to walk by and basically say, hey, come follow me. And it says that Peter drops the nets. He leaves the nets behind and he follows Jesus. But later on, there's another reference in uh, Luke 5. And if you read the difference, read those this week. See what you think, Matthew 4 and Luke 5. Because in Luke 5, that's a very different scene, okay? Jesus is not walking by. He's actually teaching. And he's off in a boat teaching, like there's a whole event. And it says that they had been fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, okay, we'll go out in the boat once more and cast your net. And they have this miraculous catch. And in that instance, there seems to be a major heart change right there. Because at that moment, Peter realizes who's in his boat. Because remember, he has heard from Andrew. Andrew says, this is the Messiah, Peter, that I'm, we have found him. But it is not until this miraculous catch that you see Peter say, go away from me, Lord. He just realized who he was. I am a sinful man. Jesus says, follow me. And it says that Peter left everything at that moment, and he followed, which makes sense to me as to why he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You have gotten your butt back in that boat three times. Are you going to be a fisher of men? And he restores him to his calling. Listen, there's a lot to ponder from this lesson. I haven't even gotten like six verses. But here's the thing. What is it you're seeking? Are you just curious? You're just curious. There's something there. You're following at a distance. You're interested. He is turning around and saying, come on. Come and see. Get to know me. 
Yes, people you respect have pointed you to Jesus. You've heard testimony, but you can't know me unless you are with me. My door's open. Come see where I'm staying. Come sit with me. Come let me speak into your life. Matter of fact, the more time you spend with me, the more you'll be able to answer the question, what is it that you really want? I'm actually going to show you what it is you need. I'm going to introduce to you what it is you want, and then I'm going to fill it. Guess what? When I look at you, I know you. I know the heart of you. I know who you are, not just who you are, but what you can be. Not the actualities, but the possibilities. Come and see. Come and see. Do you spend time with Jesus? That's it. That's the question of the day. There are times you're going to be at a distance out of questioning. You're going to want to pull away. Trust me, I want to, I want to, I want to. I'm mad. But I can't. So I just sit in my mad with him. Because there's no place else to go. He is the words of life. What do you want? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Simple truths. Lord, I'm not here to point uh, women to me because Lord knows they don't need to follow me. But I'm here to point them to you because I believe that all life began in you and is sustained in you. And even though, Lord, we cannot see it sometimes, we just hold on to that truth. So God, I pray that even in brokenness and grief, that you will help me point others to you. But more than that, God, that they will see a desire and a struggle and a love in me that they want a piece of and that that will make them come find you. And God, I pray that they would understand that you've made it easy. You've made a way. You've opened the door. You come after them. You want to sit down with them and commune with them. You're waiting on them. And you're like, come and see. Let me show you. Let me teach you. Let me feel you with my spirit. Be like me. Be the light to the world. And God, I pray that we would take all of these questions of who am I and what do I want and where am I going? And we would sit down and work those out with you. God, I pray above all that these women would fall in love with your word, that they would meditate on it, think about it, read the scripture. Ponder who you are. What does this scripture say about God? What does this scripture say about me? And what is God calling today? What, what is he wanting? What is the message he's giving me today? May we just sit in your presence. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to just um, teach and lead women closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.